Well, good morning. Everybody feel rested, extra hours sleep, or did you wake up early? So. It is good to see you. I want to welcome you to First Baptist, and we're glad that you're here. I'm so glad my dad has um, his two sisters and one of their friends here to help keep him straight this weekend. And so maybe Elsie, he'll act better in church today with you sitting next to him. And we doubt it, but we, we hope, we keep hoping. But we're glad you're here. If you'll look in your bulletin, there are a couple things. Um, tonight is the kindergarten daycare Thanksgiving service. If you'd be interested in helping um, just welcome people and be at the door as a greeter, if you have children there or grandchildren, then we understand. Um, Operation Christmas Childs, the packing party's coming, and then you can see a little note about a financial secretary. Sandra's um, retiring in, in December, so we're still trying to fill that position. And then you'll notice the global hunger relief used to be called World Hunger Fund. Um, James, do we have a picture of, do you have that picture of the missionary there? It's supposed to be there. Um, years ago, uh, the first time we went to Mount Elgon, we went up on between Kenya and, and um, Uganda. And when we got there, the people were starving, the rebels had been in, and the army had been there. It just had been a terrible situation. And I have a picture of one of our missionaries was one of the Kenyan women, and she's standing in a field with corn about to her knee and beans about to her ankles, and all those corn and beans were provided by the World Hunger Fund. She was sitting there waiting for it to grow so she could eat and feed her family. But World Hunger stepped in, and, um, and so I want to encourage you, you can see in the, in, the, in the worship guide how to give to that. There it is. That's Renee Crane, and um, let me get my microphone on. That's Renee Crane. And you remember David Crane. He's been here before and preached, but you can see the corn and the, and the beans there waiting for it to grow so they can feed their family. And right behind them, all that is supplied by the world. I saw world hunger in action there. And I just want to encourage you to give to that. We're glad you're here. We really are. Um, we've... We probably welcomed you to death this morning, and so let's just leave it at that and say welcome to First Baptist. We're really glad you're here. Let me pray for us. I think um, we have a brand new call to worship. Let's do that, and then we'll pray, okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making James work today. And, uh, there it is. This is, comes out of Revelation. Um, read it with me. After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the throne, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Pray with me, and then we'll have Brian come and read our scripture. Father, we come to you, and we praise you. And God, I thank you that you allow us to live where we live, and we are mindful of a world that is in chaos. We lift up the Middle East to you this morning. We lift up Ukraine and Russia to you. We, we lift up especially those who are believers stuck in the middle of all this, and we ask God for those who aren't believers to come to know you. God, we love you. 
and we praise you and we thank you that we can worship you freely. We're mindful even as we talked about world hunger, about the blessings that we have to live where we live. I pray, God, that you would just burden us to care for those who, who cannot eat and, and have no ability to help us, Father, to be faithful, to supply for them. We pray as Lottie Moon comes around the corner and our missions offerings and all that's going, that your gospel would spread in this world. Bless this time together as we worship you through the reading of your word and through the singing and through the preaching and through the giving, through every aspect. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Brian Covering. and I can speak. So. Um, this morning's reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 43. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and he will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not, Jesus answered. O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Stand as we join our voices in singing hymn number 511, The Solid Rock.
taken directly from that same song. Lord, from sorrows deep I call.
me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. It's good to see all those children walking out, and I, I just thought I'm glad I'm called to be a pastor, not a children's minister. <laughs> Each to his own gifts. God has gifted charisma, so I'm thankful for that, but it's good to, to see all of you, to see the choir all full, and some of our normals couldn't be there for different reasons, so it's good to to have our choir singing and, and seeing new people in the choir. And Ronnie, we may just keep you around another year, I think. Um, Colossians chapter 1, before we read it, let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for the gift of music. I, I especially love when we sing from your word. And I know some, all of our songs are based out of your word, but to sing straight from the psalms as they were meant to be sung. And, and God, I thank you for the gift of music and for the, the musicians and the choir and hearing the voices today as we sing these hymns that many of us have sung for years. Thank you for the blessed assurance we have in you. And I thank you for your word. And we believe that your word is living and active. It's true. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce down into that division between bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It's God-breathed. It's breathed by you and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be able to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, God, as we start a brand-new series and a brand-new book, we... We pray that somehow today and for the next several weeks and months that we would catch a glimpse of what Paul is saying about Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that we can come here and do this today and we remember those who cannot. We remember those who are homebound and ask God that you would bless them and watch over them. We remember those, God, in the world who simply cannot even dream of being able to do what we're doing with this freedom. Thank you, Father. We have much to be thankful about, and we praise you. Bless us as we look at your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians, just the first two verses. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading and the preaching of God's word. Colossians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to all the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So this morning we begin a new series. Um, Colossians is... One of the smaller books of Paul, it's a prison letter. We'll talk about that in a moment, but only four chapters, 95 verses, but it's packed. It's packed with an incredible view of Jesus. Paul, as you know, wrote at least 13 letters, 13 that we have. There were other letters that he wrote. He'll refer to one here where he talks about make sure you read the letter from Laodicea. We don't have that letter. 
Um, he wrote a couple letters to Corinthians, um, the, the, the Corinthians that we don't have. But, but the letters he have, most of them have some type of theme to them. For example, you could make a case that Romans is about justification by faith alone. You could say about Ephesians, it's about the unity of the church and the body of Christ. Philippians is, is joy in the Christian living. And you see that all the way through. In Thessalonians, we've studied those books, and we, we see that they're, they're about the doctrines of end times and, and, and the last days. But in Colossians, we come to what one of my seminary professors called the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. One person said a little more simply, he said, in this short book, Paul gives us a full-length portrait of Christ. It is an incredible amount of depth that he will take us to as we, as we study. It's an amazing letter because Paul never seems to have visited Colossae. He never went there. He, he did not plant this church. We know that he was in Ephesus for about three years. And as he was preaching and teaching in Ephesus, the, the gospel spread throughout Asia. Luke says it this way in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. He says, this continued, Paul's teaching, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Colossae would be a part of that. Through Paul, they heard the gospel by a man named Epaphras. Epaphras is mentioned here later in the letter twice, but Paul calls him a fellow servant in chapter 1, verse 7, and, and, and it's, it seems that Epaphras brought the gospel to them. He was one of them. It, chapter 4, verse 12, he, he was one. It's interesting, Philemon was also from Colossae. And so, uh, Epaphras was one of the Colossian citizens, and what we can piece together is it would be that, that Epaphras was in Ephesus and heard the gospel, and he got saved, and he brought it back home. And as he brought it back home, he established the church, but there were some problems. As all the New Testament churches do, they, they face some theological troubles, and so what would seem to happen is that Paul um, is in prison when he writes this letter, but Epaphras takes the problems back to Paul, goes back to Rome, and tells Paul what's going on and what the false teachers are doing. And so Paul turns around and writes him a letter. I'm thankful. I'm not thankful for church problems. We never are thankful, but, but I'm thankful that the problems of the New Testament churches led to letters like Colossians. It's an incredible letter. He writes from prison. There would be a couple choices, but I would suggest that he wrote it from a Roman prison because while he was there, he sends letters back to Ephesus, Colossae, and Philemon. Think about that. While Paul is in prison, he writes Ephesians and Colossians, two of the greatest books that we have in our hands. Ephesus was 100 miles east of them. Laodicea, you know Laodicea from 
from the book of Revelation, they were only 10 miles away. And so Laodicea was closer than Raglan, Asheville, Moody, or Leeds, okay? They, they were right there. Um, Laodicea was just right down the road from them. And it's interesting because at one time, and we're going to dig into the text, but I want to give you a little background. At one time, Colossae had been a thriving city. <coughs> Excuse me. Xerxes, the king, um, the Persian king, Xerxes had gone through the city 400 years before Christ. It was an older city. It, it was, there was a main highway that went through the city. It was a thriving city. But as in many small towns, even in the U.S., the main highway was moved. It no longer went through Colossae. Now it goes through Laodicea. And so Colossae is now a town that is going out. It's had it seen its better days. And Laodicea is a city that is thriving. It's interesting, too, that about the time that Paul writes the letter, around 60 A.D., um, historians tell us there was an earthquake that decimated the city of Colossae. It was rebuilt, but it, it never regained its influence. 400 years later, it was not even inhabited. And if you went today, you would find ruins that have never had an archaeological dig upon them. I want you to think about that. We looked at this a little bit in, in the end of James, but I want you to think about this. Paul's writing this letter to a church in Colossae that has some of the, the deepest views of Christ that you could ever imagine. He's, he's telling them to make sure that Laodicea reads the letter. And he also tells them, make sure you read the letter I wrote to Laodicea. But in just a few years... Laodicea will be lukewarm in the book of Revelation. In just a few years, Jesus will say to the church of Laodicea, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I spew you. In just a few years, the, the church of Ephesus, from where the gospel came to Colossae, would have said about them, You've lost your first love. He said, why are you sharing that with you? Because my point is, is, just as it was at the end of our study of James, is that we must do all we can to see Christ as he is portrayed in this text. We must do all we can and worship him with all that we have. We must do all that we can to train up disciples and, 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 and be what God has called us to be because this city, like the cities of Colossae and Laodicea, are reminders to us that there's no guarantee that this church will even be on the corner in 50 years. We can't even imagine that, but we can look all around us at denominational drift. And if we're not careful to continue to look at the Scripture and to worship the Jesus of the Bible and to see the Jesus that is portrayed to us in the Scriptures, we can lose the gospel. We can lose our purpose just as Colossae, as Laodicea, and even Ephesus. Rather than introducing or surveying the whole book, I, I just felt led to just dig in. 
I just want to dig into these first two verses and and we're going to go through it over the next several weeks and months and, and, and walk through it. For the last few weeks, we've said a lot about prayer. At the end of James, we, we talked about prayer for three or four weeks, and then we had two services built around prayer. And we've said a lot about prayer, but here's the thing about Colossae. I've been reading through and praying through this book for, for months now. And, and the one thing I, I want you to see is, is that Paul will teach us, especially the next two weeks, he'll teach us a lot about praying and the one to whom we're praying. We're going to look for a couple of weeks just at his prayer that is incredible starting in verses 3 and following. But, but, but if you look at this, the first four verses, 14 verses are kind of an introduction. And, and, and verses 1 and 2 are a greeting that we'll see today. Verses 3 through 8 is the prayer of thanksgiving. And then verses 9 through 14, there's a prayer of petition. So we'll learn from Paul again about how to pray. We've been with Christ in the school of prayer. We were with James in the school of prayer. We've been with the Psalms in the school of prayer. And, and, and we're going to get to go at least for a couple of weeks with Paul in the school of prayer. But, but let's look first of all at the introduction. Just at the introduction. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle... Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. Look at the introduction. First of all, there's an author. That's pretty obvious. Paul. We know a lot about Paul. He's writing around 60 AD, but let's not forget who Paul once was. Paul was once Saul. He was the one who held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. Paul, Saul was the one who arrested Christians. He dragged them to prison and had them put to death. The early church would have considered, I've said this before, would have considered Saul to be what we would call a terrorist today. But just 30 years later, just 30 years later, he's writing this letter. What a testimony to grace. What a testimony to growth in the things of God. That a man could write a letter like this and he grew in his faith. Paul, that's the author. But the second thing we see is the authority. The authority. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle. We use that word a lot in, the, in, in, in preaching and in studying. The word apostle can, can simply mean um, a, a sent person. You, you would send someone out and they would go out as an apostle. It, it could mean um, a missionary gift. We see that in the early church that they were sent out like apostles and, and missionaries. But, but when used like this, when used in the greetings and then used like Paul's using, it's the office of apostle. In the office of apostle, one person said it this, that they were clothed with the authority and the power of the sender. The apostles were clothed with the authority and the power of Jesus. And they went out and they did miraculous things. In Acts chapter 1, after Judas has betrayed Jesus and is now dead, Peter was saying, we need to replace Judas, and, and he says, among things, that the one who replaces him should, should have known Christ while he was on the earth and witnessed the resurrection. 
Well, Paul didn't know Jesus while he was on the earth, and, and he wasn't an eyewitness to the resurrection. He admits in Corinthians that he is an apostle untimely born. In other words, he, he didn't walk with Jesus on the earth. He didn't meet the resurrected Jesus, but he did meet the resurrected Jesus. What I mean is, he didn't meet him right after he rose as the apostles did, but he did meet Jesus at his salvation. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus whom you persecute. He met Jesus on that road. And then we see somewhere along the line, Paul goes into the wilderness, and, and while he's in the wilderness for a couple of years, it's Jesus who teaches him in the wilderness. Paul was different than any of the other apostles, but he was an apostle. He's an apostle. The last of that group, hear me well, the last of that group died with the apostle John. Don't put stock in anyone who calls himself an apostle today. They're not. I know some people use that term to speak of missionary gifts. But that is not the way the Bible's using it here, and that's not the way many of them use it. The Apostle John was the last apostle. There were no more apostles today. Notice he's not self-appointed. Many who call themselves apostles today are, are self-appointed, but look at what he says. He's an apostle by the will of God. This was made known to him at his salvation. We have an author, that's Paul. We have the authority, he's an apostle. We have an appointment. He's the apostle by the will of God. Now, you and I are apostles. But what are you by the will of God? You're born. You realize that, right? Mom and daddy might say you were an accident, but you were not an accident. Maybe a surprise, but you were not a surprise to God. You were born by the will of God. The Bible teaches you were born again by the will of God. You're spiritually gifted by the will of God. God has called me to be a pastor. He's called me to do this. He's called you to do other things. We each have spiritual gifts, and, and we each are called by God and, and, and called to be in some aspect of the disciple-making process that we know of as a church. Every one of us are something by the will of God. There's an appointment in our life. And the great need for us is to see what that is and to do what God has called us to do. We're saved. We're born again. We, we are what we are because of the will of God. Now, you notice Paul mentions Timothy here. He's Paul's faithful brother in Christ. He was a spiritual son of Paul. We know from other writings he was a third-generation Christian. His grandmother and his mother were Christians, and Paul's a Christian, or Timothy's a Christian. And here's the thing about Timothy. He's always there. There are times in Paul's life that everyone has deserted him, but not Timothy. We all need someone like Timothy in our life. I would say it this way. We all need, every single one of us needs a Paul. 
We need someone who's pouring Jesus into us. Who's the Paul in your life? I know that, that by God's mercy that he's called me to be a part of that in your life and he's called your Sunday school teacher to be a part of that. And you need someone that where you meet on a regular basis and they pour like Paul, Jesus, into your life. But, but we don't just need a Paul in our life. We need a Timothy in our life. We need someone pouring into us and we need to be pouring into someone else. Do you have those two people in your life? Do you have a Paul? Do you have a Timothy? How long ago? I am. Um, <laughs> this will really make your day. I, I, I'd smoked some things with my, well, I got this little electric smoker for Father's Day, and I loved it, and I'd smoked some meat and other things. And, and I was walking by it, and I kept smelling something. This days later, I was like, what in the world of the dogs drug up? You know, it was that kind of smell. And then I realized, I forgot to empty the water pan from that smoker. That was the worst smell you've ever smelled. It was terrible. If all you are is a receiver, if all you get is, is, is just being poured into, and you're not pouring out, You'll become like a sponge that sours. We need, we desperately need a Paul in our life, but we also need a Timothy in our life. Now, in verse 2, we leave the introduction and we come to the readers, the readers to whom Paul's addressing. Look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Notice how he addresses them to the saints. To the saints. Literally, it's the holy ones. To the holy ones. It, it's the word saint isn't about the excellence of their character as it is about their separation to God. To be separated is to be a saint. To, to be separated is to be made holy. We are to be different from the world. Just as the Jews were the people of God by the will of God, so, so we who have now been saved are a part of the people of God by the will of God. And if, if we're a part of the people of God, then we've been called out from the world and we've been placed into Christ. And as we're in Christ... We are saints. We are the holy ones, a, a people belonging to God. Alabama Baptists were shocked this past week. A pastor over in East Alabama made the headlines. He'd been a mayor of a small town, and he's a pastor of a small church there. And it seems he had an alternative life, Literally. He had a website where he posted pictures of himself in all kinds of women's clothing. Now, just so you wonder, your pastor has no such problem. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. You, you do not want to see that. And, uh, but not only did he post pictures of himself like that, 
the comments came out that he, he, he was on the, whatever this web page is, I don't even want to go there to find out, but, but he was making these lewd comments about things that he had done and wanted done and all these kind of things. And he's finally confronted. And his deacons recommend to the church, as they should have, that he be fired. And unfortunately, just yesterday or the day before, he committed suicide. But before he committed suicide, he spoke to the church. And he was defiant about his behavior. And this is what he said. My private life does not impact my holy life. Now, I hate that that man committed suicide. I hate that a pastor would dare do something like that. But y'all, our holiness is found in our private life. You can be one thing in public just so long. Sooner or later, like this man, your sins will find you out and you will reap what you sow. And understand, we are called to be holy. And in a culture that moves further and further away from holiness, we must stand if we are to exist as a church, as the separate ones, saints who are holy, Notice, secondly, he, he mentions brothers, and I would just say brothers and sisters here. And I do that because that's the way they wrote. They, they specifically wrote in, 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 the, in the masculine pronouns and masculine tense, but, but ladies, it doesn't exclude you. He's, he's talking about brothers and sisters. And if we're the people of God, we have one Father. And because we all have one Father... We are brothers and sisters. We're part of a common family. We're joined by a common faith. I, I guess the question I would have is, is, are you a brother and sister? That's a great question to ask. But secondly, are you a faithful brother and sister in Christ? Are you using the gifts that God has given to you? Is the church better let me say it this way. Is the church more like Christ because we're here? Or in spite of the fact that we're here? We need each other. We can't be what God's called us to be if, if we're not all operating in the Spirit, working toward holiness, active in our spiritual gifts, using those gifts inside the body of Christ. The body that he's given to us for, for the edification of Christ and the glory of the head. Are, are, we, are we brothers and sisters? Are we faithful? Notice their physical locations at Colossae. That's simple. But I'm not so much interested in their physical location. We're from Pell City and wherever else I live in Cropwell and maybe in Le wherever you may live. But we're from Pell City. But notice they're in Christ Jesus. That's their spiritual position. That's where we have to focus. Because our brothers and sisters are all over this world. Some are Chinese and 
Some live in Palestine and some live in Israel and some live in Russia and some live in Ukraine and some live in all those other places in the world. And, and we have brothers and sisters all over this world. And we're all in Christ. Our spiritual position in Christ. Paul uses some form of that phrase in Christ. Get this, 164 times in his letters. It's his favorite way of describing who we are as believers. To be in Christ, someone said this way, speaks of the deepest and most joyful mystery of the gospel. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We partake in him and all that he has done for us. We, we died with him. We rose from him. He, he took our sin upon himself so that we could take his righteousness. We're in Christ. It means we belong to him. The New Testament says that every single person is either in Adam or in Christ. The Bible refers to Adam and even refers to Jesus as the second Adam. We're in Adam or we're in Christ. We, we are in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we're, we're placed into the Father and into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Transferred, he'll say in this book, out of the darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. We, we've been placed in Christ. We'll try to unpack that, but it's, it's the most blessed truth of our salvation. Our salvation is not like other religions. Buddhists strive to follow the teachings of Buddha, Islam. Muslims try to follow the teachings of Muhammad. And yes, it's, it's true that we seek to follow the teachings of Jesus, but it's different. We're not just striving to follow the teachings of Christ Christ is alive in us. He empowers us to do what he's called us to do. He lives through us. And, and, and it's even better than the disciples, Jesus said, because, because they had Jesus with them in person, and they could only be with Jesus when they were with Jesus. But now wherever we go, Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit is everywhere we go. And, and that's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave. How does that take place? How are we placed in Christ? Well, look at the third thing. Look at Paul's blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul's blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We find a Greek and a Hebrew blessing here together. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Grace is... Let's just simplify it. Grace is God's favor. Peace is, I like the way one person said it. It says, peace is wholeness. It's more than just the absence of conflict. When we've experienced grace, we have the Father's wholeness. It's everything given by God in all areas of life. It's not just spiritual prosperity. It's not just contentment. Get this, it's, it's the ability, the peace is the ability to understand the nature of our relationship. 
When we understand grace and we begin to see the nature of our relationship with God, it's the ability to see what God has done to establish a relationship with us. You see, in chapter 2, verse 13, like he did in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he'll say that we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ. And he has forgiven us all our trespasses. That's grace and peace. Now, grace comes first. You can't have peace with God without grace. You can't have anything with God without his grace. God's work leads to our relationship. And so, I was trying to think about how to, how to illustrate this. And, and I remembered a book that I'd read, and, and, and I went back and I found it. And, and, and some of you are going to really click with this illustration, and some of you are going are, are, are to say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? So, so just hang with me, okay? I think it, it'll help us to understand what it is to be in Christ by comparing two superheroes. Batman, Tim's getting all excited over here, Batman and Spider-Man, okay? Now, if that's way past your time, I understand. You, you may read it in comic books, and, and, and it's been on the movies, you know, the, the big screen, there's this movie thing, and, they, and they're there, and it's, right, I'm being sarcastic. Excuse me, I'm trying not to be sarcastic. Batman and Spider-Man. Batman's a wealthy, rich man. He's rich, he's strong, and he's got lots of gadgets. His powers are external. They're only external. You take away Batman's gadgets, and you just have a man. But Spider-Man is different. Spider-Man has some gadgets. But he's a superhero because of power that he obtained. Now, this is not real, I understand. But power he obtained when he was bitten by a radioactive spider. The spider bites him. And he's changed inwardly. His nature has been changed. New powers that he didn't have before. Now, a lot of the Christian world and our society focuses on gadgets. The latest study Bible. The latest Bible study. The latest conference. The latest worship experience. And there's a lot of gadgets that we have. But if we take all the gadgets away, we have nothing. But when you look at spiritual transformation, we're more like Spider-Man than Batman because we've been changed inwardly. We weren't bitten by a radioactive spider, but we were indwelled by an omnipotent God. And that change continues in us until we're glorified. We continue to grow in the Lord until we're changed outwardly. Yes, looking at us outwardly, we look like everyone else. Hopefully there's a little difference about us, but, but, but there's, but there's a, a similarity to us in the world, in the world that we live in. But we, we're inwardly different because of Christ. 
It's all grace. And that grace leads to peace. And that peace is peace with God. And because we're at peace with God, we can have peace with one another. So let me ask you this morning, are you walking in his power? The Holy Spirit's in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Omnipotent God indwells you. Are you walking in his power? Are you living by his spirit? And it's practiced in his gifting. The power, the walking in power comes by operating in the gifts that God has given to you. But there's another part of it. We, we need to walk in his power, but also walk in his holiness. And so I want to ask you, are you walking in his power? But secondly, are you walking in his holiness? That's a life not lived so much in the power of the, of, of the gifting, but it's the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Power comes through operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and, and holiness comes through operating in the fruit of the Spirit. As he comes through us and lives through us and changes us. Get this. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory, changed by his grace. Say it again. Power and holiness come when we are in Christ by the will of God, separated for his glory, changed by his grace, and living in peace. Peace with him and peace with others. That's all in this little introduction. Just wait till we get. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he goes on and on and on, talking about who we are in Christ and who Jesus is. Walk in his holiness through the fruit. Walk in his power through the gifting. It all comes through the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Amen? Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads. Are you in Christ? Or are you in Adam? If you're in Christ, because you've been born again, you should be growing. I should be growing. We should be growing. Are we growing? Paul grew in his faith. Epaphras grew in his faith. Timothy grew. Lois grew. 
Mary and Martha grew. Are we growing? Father, I come before you and I thank you for the depth of your word. The truth is we've just scratched the surface of what we find in a passage like this. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us now. Are we separated? Are we holy? Does your spirit live inside of us? Lord, would you help us answer that question? And if your spirit doesn't live inside of anyone in this room, God, would they call out to you? Holy Spirit, would you convict them and draw them to call to you? They must call. They must call. And as they call, fulfill your promise, Lord, and let them be born again. And for those who have been born again, let us not give up. Let us keep fighting the good fight until you call us home. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. We're going to sing. And as we sing, if God's calling you to do something public, Tim and I will be here to help you with that. Let's stand together as we sing.
On Thursday, I went to pick up um, Hope's car. She had a little fender bender and I was going to pick it up. And there's a young man there who grew up in our church. Hasn't been in church in a while, but has grew up here, uh, Jacob Hawkins. I waved at Jacob and we always cut up and talked and I left. And before the day was over, Jacob was killed in a car wreck. We never know when this will be the last time we're in this room. I just drove to work today, work, church. And I drove by and I looked over at Miss Ingram's house, Mr. King's house. At the Cosper's house, Ed the Bean's house. People who are faithful in this church, many of them, they're gone. No one knows who used to live there anymore. All that matters is Jesus. All that matters. Thursday night, Kim and I went to the Eagles concert in Atlanta, Georgia. 51 years they've played. Now, I was impressed with... Um, their sound, some of them are 76 years old. And they still sound awesome. Playing what they love. But last night I went to Natalie Grant's concert with Kim. The Eagles were my idea, Natalie Grant's were hers. But I watched a young lady just sing the praises of Jesus and I thought, that's what I want. Give me Jesus. Amen. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you won't go home now and stay for an hour of Bible study and, and, and let the teacher start teaching quickly. I went a little long today. So God bless you. See you back tonight for the Thanksgiving service. Take care.